There is so much in our world that is completely out of our control, and a lot of it is not things that we would choose if we did have control. Just looking through some of the headlines in recent months in our world, we see the radical Muslim group ISIS is continuing to behead and execute Christians and others who refuse to convert to Islam. We also have seen things like natural disasters, like the earthquake that happened in Nepal. Millions have been left homeless, and thousands have been killed. And those things are out of our control. But we can look a little bit closer to home. We can see the Supreme Court meeting very soon to decide whether or not they're going to redefine marriage as we know it. The president's own lawyer has said that if churches don't change the way that they address LGBT issues, that they could lose their tax-exempt status. We've also seen riots in places like Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore, Maryland, that have left entire cities in chaos. People living there wonder if it's even safe to go outside of their own doors. And, and we don't live in places that have had riots, but we wonder, could that happen here as well? Things that are out of our control. But we can even come back to things right here in Erie. It seems like you can't go one morning without opening your newspaper and reading about another shooting in our city. Just within blocks of where Cindy and I live, there have been about a dozen car break-ins since the month of April. And we've also heard that just uh, a couple of weeks ago, just less than two miles right here from our own church at another church, six cars were broken into. There were windows smashed and things stolen out of their car during the worship service. Things that are out of our control. But what about in your own life? You've been diligent. You've tried to set aside money for a rainy day. And then the fuel pump goes out on your car. And the transmission starts slipping on the other car. And all of the ice that we had this winter, once it started melting, you realized it had damaged your roof. And pretty soon uh, you, you come towards tax time and you thought you were going to get a refund and instead you owe $1,500 to the IRS. And now that money that you had set aside for a rainy day, that emergency fund, is now on life support. Does all of this have you worried about the future? How bad can things really get? Should I move someplace safer? Is there someplace safer? Will it even be safe to be a Christian in the future? Will it be legally safe? Will it be physically safe? Something that I've been thinking about over the last couple of months is, what if I were confronted by ISIS? And they told me that if I did not recant my faith, that they would behead me. What would I do? Of course, it's impossible to know what might happen in the future until you're actually faced with it, but I hope that I would have the courage to stand up for what I believe in. But then what if they were to ask me that same question 
tell me that I can either recant my faith or they will execute my wife and my children, that puts it in a different light, doesn't it? And I wonder, would I have the courage then to make that same statement? The Bible tells us to be anxious about nothing. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. Take it all to God in prayer. Be thankful when those things happen. I wonder when I read those words, was God really expecting me to live my life that way, or was he just writing to the Philippians in the, in the church in the first century? Does he really expect me to not be anxious in any situation? And how would I do that? Do I do that by trying hard, or maybe it's by trying harder than I am now because I tend to be anxious about things? Or is there some other reason, a reason that's not dependent on my effort and what I'm doing? I, I saw a cartoon a while ago, and I, I looked for it to find it and share it with you. There's a man that has had his whole life is falling apart. And so he comes to his pastor, and he's in his office, and he says, My wife has left me, my kids are on drugs, and I just got laid off from a job. I think that's a good start to a country song, don't you? <laughs> well, in the next panel, he asks the question of his pastor, Can you explain to me the difference between amillennialism, postmillennialism, and premillennialism? I laugh every time I see that because it has nothing to do with the way we would react, is it? That's not the question I have when my life is falling apart. We want answers, and we want assurances. Well, this is where King Nebuchadnezzar finds himself in Daniel chapter 2. And if you want to turn there, that's fine, but I'm just warning you ahead of time. I'm reading from a different translation, and I'm also going to be reading kind of an abridged version of this story, mainly because the chapter is 49 verses long. So I'm not going to read every single verse. So if you want to, you can just listen along as I read this. King Nebuchadnezzar started having bad dreams, dreams that seemed to have a meaning, and he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, his enchanters, sorcerers, and fortune tellers to interpret his dreams, and this is what he told them. I had a dream that I can't get out of my mind. I can't sleep until I know what it means. And the fortune teller said, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. That seems kind of like a logical thing for them to say, isn't it? You tell us what you dreamed and we'll tell you what it means. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar said, if you can't tell me both the dream and its interpretation, I'll have you ripped to pieces and your homes torn down. And you guys thought you had a tough boss to work for, right? But if you tell me both the dream and its interpretation, I'll give you gifts and honors. And they answered, if it please your majesty. And I can't help it, but in my mind, all these stories go in, in my own mind. I picture these guys saying, if it please your majesty. And that's what I see them doing. And they say, tell us the dream and then we'll give you the interpretation. Well, can I just say it didn't please his majesty? He was not pleased one bit with that. He said, I know what you're up to. 
You're just playing for time. You're going to make up stories and confuse me until I change my mind. Well, nothing doing. First tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you're not just blowing smoke. And that's where you know that I'm not reading from the King James, right? (laughs) The fortune teller said, Nobody anywhere can do that, and no one has ever demanded anything like this. What you're asking is impossible. Now, put yourself in that situation. You're standing before the most powerful king in the entire world, and he's told you you need to interpret a dream, tell him what the dream is, and then tell him what it means. And he's also threatened you with your life that if you don't do it properly, he's going to kill you. And then you come back and you say, by the way, what you're asking is impossible. You're being totally unreasonable. Nobody has ever asked anybody to do this before. Is that what you would say? I know I wouldn't. That's not what I would lead with. And that's what it says. It says that set the king off. He lost his temper and he ordered all of the wise men killed. When the death warrant was issued, Daniel and his companions were included, even though they had not been part of the group called on to tell the dream and interpret it. When the captain of the guards was making his arrangements for the execution, Daniel took him aside and asked what was going on. That seems to me like a logical thing to do. I'm about to be killed. Can you tell me why? After Daniel heard what was happening, he went to the king and he asked for a little time so that he could interpret the dream. Daniel then went home and told his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as... That's right, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. Well, that's the way I learned it. I don't know about you. He asked them to pray to God for mercy in solving this mystery. And that night, the answer to the mystery was given to Daniel in a vision. When Daniel was brought to the king, Nebuchadnezzar said, Are you sure you can do this? And Daniel answered, No. Now again, that's not the answer I would have led with. You know that you've already been threatened with death, and the the king grants you kind of a second chance and says, Do you think you can do this? And you say, No. Maybe he went very quickly from that sentence to the next, where he says, No mere human can solve the king's mystery. But there is a God in heaven who solves mysteries. He is showing you the future so that you can prepare. This is your dream. You've dreamed of the future. God is showing you what will happen by my interpretation, not because I'm any smarter than anyone else, but so that you will have understanding. What you saw was a huge statue. It was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. The chest and the arms were silver. The belly and the hips were bronze, the legs were iron, and the feet were an iron ceramic mixture. While you were looking at this statue, a stone cut out of a mountain by an invisible hand hit the statue, smashing its iron ceramic feet. Then the whole thing fell to pieces. It was like scraps of old newspaper in a vacant lot in a hot, dry summer, blown every which way by the wind. I love that description. But the stone that hit the statue became a huge mountain. That was your dream, and now I'm going to interpret it for you. You are the most powerful king on earth. The God of heaven has given you of everything, rule, power, strength, and glory. 
He has put you in charge of men and women, even the animals. You're the head ruler, and you are the head of gold. Now, can't you just picture King Nebuchadnezzar standing over there saying, he's talking about me. Did you hear that? That, that was me. But your rule will be taken over by another kingdom. So the, the story's going from good to bad now. Taken over by another kingdom, inferior to yours, and that one by a third kingdom, a bronze kingdom, but still ruling the whole land. And after that, by a fourth kingdom, iron-like in strength. Just as iron smashes things to bits, it will bust up the previous kingdoms. But then the feet and the toes that ended up as a mixture of ceramic and iron will fall to pieces into a mongrel kingdom. Just as the toes of the feet were part ceramic and part iron, it will end up a mixed bag of the breakable and the unbreakable. That kingdom won't bond, won't hold together any more than iron and clay hold together. But throughout the history of these kingdoms, the God of heaven will be building a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will this kingdom ever fall under the dominion of another. Obviously talking about the kingdom of God that will come. In the end, it will crush the other kingdoms and finish them off and come through it all, standing strong and eternal. It will be like the stone cut from the mountain by the invisible hand that crushed the iron, the bronze, the ceramic, the silver, and the gold. When Daniel finished, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, not before God. He fell on his face in awe before Daniel. And he said to Daniel, Your God is beyond question, the God of all gods, the master of all kings, and he solves all mysteries. Daniel chapter 2 contains this story. And, and when we think of Daniel chapter 2, we usually think immediately of the statue. And then once we start thinking about the statue that's dominating King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we start thinking about uh, all of the prophecies that are surrounded with it. And we're curious and try to determine what is the statue, deter uh, what is it representing? Which kingdom is it that he's talking about when he says, you know, the, the belly or the legs and the different types of metal? And uh, we get all caught up in that. And that is one thing that we could look at is the prophecy. But this morning, I want to look at the picture. The big picture is that we're going to focus on things that are out of our control. Because with Nebuchadnezzar, everything was out of his control. He couldn't even remember the dream, right? He knew it was important, but he couldn't remember any of it. What about Daniel and his companions? Everything was out of their control. They were going to be killed for something they hadn't had any part in. Even these, these wise men and these uh, magicians, things were out of their control because they didn't know what they were supposed to interpret. And for you and I, there is so much that is out of our control in the world that we live in. We can't control uh, our circumstances. We can't control what goes on politically. We certainly can't control what goes on with nature. Anybody try to go outside today and stop the rain? You can't do it, can you? So when we face these things that are out of our control, we have to decide what we're going to let dominate our hearts and our minds. Will it be our circumstances or will it be God? 
Well, Nebuchadnezzar had much that he was worried about and a lot that was out of his control. First, he can't remember the dream, but he can't get it out of his mind. He just knows that it's extremely important, and he knows that he needs to find out what it is, but it's not in his control. As Christians, we look at passages like Daniel chapter 2, and specifically the part about where Daniel starts interpreting the dream and telling him what it means, and we get caught up in the prophecy. What parts have already happened, we wonder? What parts are still to come? What kingdom was represented here? When is God going to come back? When is his rule going to start that was described by the mountain? And I think it's strange that as Christians, we are absolutely fascinated with prophecy, and yet we're totally anxious about the future. Those two things don't seem to go together when we think about it like that. But we do know from the Bible that we're told that things are going to continue to get worse, increasingly worse, before Christ returns, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and, be de- and being deceived. So as Christians, when we understand our Bible, we don't necessarily get worried when we see things getting worse in our world, because we know that ultimately that leads to the second coming of Christ. I think where we get worried as Christians is when we see things getting worse and we wonder, what if Christ isn't about to come back? And if he isn't, that means that things really aren't as bad as they're going to get. They're going to get a whole lot worse. There are probably quite a few of you in this room that... Uh, were alive back in the 30s and 40s. And if you weren't, you have parents or grandparents that were. And you remember what was going on that time, either from living through it or from history classes. You had Nazi Germany. You had the Holocaust. And all of that, I believe, was far worse than what we're living through today. So if Christ didn't come back in, in say, like 1944, then what makes me think that he's about to come back in 2015, tomorrow. So that's where I get anxious. I think as bad as things are, when I look at ISIS and all that's going on that's out of my control, it must not be as bad as it's going to get. And is what's going on in the other side of the world going to start happening here? And then I can get myself so worked up that I live my life being anxious. But we can take comfort from Daniel's experience. Even though Daniel was a captive in a foreign country, even though that country did not worship God and was very antagonistic towards those who did worship God, even though Daniel was about to be killed for something that he didn't have any part in, even though Daniel didn't know what the dream was, that he was supposed to interpret. Even though Daniel didn't know the interpretation of that dream, and even though Daniel was about to give the message of that dream that was telling the king of the world, basically, that his kingdom was going to end. So now you're looking at me thinking, okay, you just told us that there was comfort in this. I don't see the comfort. So let me tell you where the comfort is. Where does it come from? 
Daniel's comfort came from knowing that even though he was a captive of a foreign country, he ultimately did not have to obey a Jewish king. He ultimately was not obeying a Babylonian king. He was obeying a heavenly king. Psalm 74.12 says, But God is my king from long ago. Daniel's comfort came from knowing that even though he might be at odds with those that worshiped a false god, and we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come in this series, he took comfort in knowing that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel's comfort came from knowing that even though he was about to be killed for something that he didn't have any part in, he should not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Daniel's comfort came from knowing that even though he did not know what the dream was or what that dream meant, that there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel's comfort came from knowing that even though the interpretation of the dream was to tell the most powerful king in the land that his kingdom would be destroyed, that the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 46 is a verse that I looked up this week in a different version. It's called God's Word Translation. It's kind of a newer translation. But I like the way that it was phrased. In Psalm 46.10, it says, Let go of your concerns, then you will know that I am God. I rule the nations. I rule the earth. That's where the answer is. Now, do you remember, um, I don't know, it was two or three decades ago, there was a saying that was real popular in churches and with Christians that said, let go and let God. Well, what this verse says is, let go and know. Let go of your concerns, then you will know that I am God. I rule the nations, I rule the earth. Let go of control and know that God is in control. That's the first step towards serenity and towards peace. Whenever we face out-of-control situations, we tend to go one of two directions. There are some people that the more out of control their life gets, the more they try to control everything. Do you know people like that? Raise your hand if you're somebody like that, because I, I know there are some of you out there, and you need to be raising your hands right now. And if you're not, the person next to you is elbowing you, right? Pastor Scott's talking about you right now. There's another type of person that the more out of control their life gets, the more they just kind of let go of everything. They, they throw a pity party, and they invite themselves to it. And at this party, what they do is they curl, uh, curl up in the fetal position, right? And now the elbow is going the other way. See, now he's talking about you. Whenever we face those out-of-control situations, instead of uh, throwing the pity party, instead of uh, becoming a control freak about our situation, what we need to do is to give our situation to God. Because both of those other reactions don't work. As a matter of fact, they just lead to stress. And the reason that they lead to stress is because it's working against God instead of with Him. 
The number one reason that you're under stress when your life seems to be out of control is that you're in conflict with God. You're trying to control things that only he can control. You can't control your spouse. You can't control your kids. You can't control your job or your boss. You can't control natural disasters. You can't control what's going on over in the Middle East. You can't control what's happening with the Supreme Court or what's happening with politics in this country. You can't control crime. You can't control your finances to the most part. All of these things are out of our control. And the more that we try to control them, the more we're trying to play God. And that puts us in direct opposition to him. Are you familiar with the serenity prayer? I think you probably are, although you may not know it by that name. Let me just read these words to you. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, do you recognize it? Millions of people have prayed this prayer over the years. The only problem is there's more to this prayer than you're seeing right here. There's another eight lines to it. Let me read those to you. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. You get that? Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. There's another key. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. That's where power is. The power is when you surrender to God the very things that you've been trying to take control from him. So we've determined that God's in control. You remember Psalm 46.10? Let's read that together. Let go of your concerns, then you will know that I am God. I rule the nations, I rule the earth. Isn't that comforting to know that God is in control? He's the one that's ruling We've also determined that we don't have to worry about the future. Remember Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Let's read that one together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What happened when Daniel trusted God instead of worrying about the world and its circumstances? God came through, and God received the glory. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar is not a follower of Jehovah. He is not what we would call today a Christian. Remember when I pointed out that he bowed down, but it wasn't to honor God. It was to honor Daniel. This is what it says. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, 
for you were able to reveal this mystery. What will happen if you start practicing Psalm 46.10 and Philippians 4, 6, and 7 in your life? God will calm you in your spirit. God will come through, and God will receive the glory. Now, there may be some of you in here today that are kind of more uh, in line with Nebuchadnezzar than with Daniel. You haven't given control of your life yet to God. You probably believe that he's there just like Nebuchadnezzar did. Remember, he believed that there was a God, probably with a little g. He believed that he was stronger than the other gods. Maybe you believe that there could be a God and that if there is one, he's probably pretty cool. I mean, if you look around at all the things that he's made and how intricate everything is, he's got to be pretty awesome if he is there. But you're not quite sure that you're ready to give control of your life to him. Well, the bad news is is that you're going to live with this anxiety because you can't control things and you're not following the one that can control it. But what if you have given your life to God? You would consider yourself a follower of Christ, and yet you still struggle with anxiety, and you still worry at times when things are beyond your control. What do you need to do? I think you need to remind yourself of these principles. First of all, God is your king from long ago. God is your king. It's not the President of the United States. It's not some power in another country who's exerting force in your life. Remember that your citizenship is in heaven. Whatever you're going through right now, no matter how bad it may be, it's just for a short period of time. Remember your citizenship is in heaven. Don't be afraid of those who cannot kill the soul. Remember, no matter what anybody can do, if you face that worst situation that I was talking about before, and you're the one that's standing in front of ISIS, and they're telling you, you say that you believe in Islam and Muhammad, or we're going to cut your head off, that's the worst they can do to you. They can't kill your soul. Remember that there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. God has all the wisdom, all the understanding of all the things that we don't understand or have wisdom about. And remember that the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. That's when we fear is when we think I'm in this all by myself. But to know that God is with you can give you a lot of courage.